The third lesson's from Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When you've approached the altar rail here at Calvary or other Lutheran churches, when you've been visiting family or friends or on vacation, you're probably greeted in a greeting similar to what I say when you come up here for communion. Welcome to the Lord's table. Now, that is several things, that brief sentence. It's prompt, first of all. It's time to step forward. The last crew is exited, stage left and stage right, and you can come forward and bow at the altar. It's also a greeting, isn't it, of a very important sacred liturgical act as part of our worship service, and is a word of reception to a meal. And it is also this. It is an indicator about what's going on, or particularly who it belongs to. It's a marker of ownership. When I say to you and other pastors say, welcome to the Lord's table, we're not saying welcome to the pastor's table. Here we are not saying welcome to Calvary Lutheran Church's table. We're not saying even this, welcome to the Missouri Synod's table. What we are saying is this table, where we come to enjoy this sacrament, is the Lord's table. It belongs to him. Now, I think it's obvious, and the news cycle always seems to bear it out, but especially this week, certainly, we live in a time of a lot of confusion about authority and ownership and creation. Because of people's beliefs about how the world was made, or perhaps even in spite of them, people have this idea deep inside their mind and heart that they belong only to themselves. My body, my choice. How many years have we heard that slogan for arguing what a woman should be able to do with a baby growing inside of her womb? I could, if I wanted to, create my own identity about who or what I am and throw a tantrum and even do violence to other people who disagree with me. The claim is that we, and the reality that we want to be actually just belongs to us. But finally, of course, we know that's wishful thinking. It doesn't change anything. As I spoke of on Sunday in the sermon then, truth is truth regardless of what I want, regardless of however many other people want something to be true. So no matter what someone thinks or wants, in spite of it even, 
All of us are God's creatures living inside of God's creation, inside of his world. Unfortunately, though, confusion about ownership and authority doesn't stop just with things in the created realm, outside there with those people, so to speak, but this confusion's crept into the church as well. Now, whether it's because some Christians are formed more by the media than the Bible, or because they desire the unity of all Christians above all else, or maybe just because they don't like to hear or to say no to somebody, many Christians do put their own ideas of what ought to be in Christ's church above Christ's own word. God is love. Judge not, lest you be judged. And many similar verses taken out of their context are molded to fit the spirit of this age, the zeitgeist, they call it. They're superimposed, those verses and similar ones, over all doctrines and teachings of the Bible and all practices of the church. And in places where this is done, unhindered, there is absolutely no mistaking it. The church is conformed to man's will. But, like creation, in spite of what people want, in spite of what they may think, authority and ownership is God's, completely regardless to popular opinion, strong opinion, or even who happens to hold the power at the time. Our modern sensibilities tell us to go in one direction, do they not? They tell us, in order to grow the church or to stop its decline, you have to be welcoming above all else. That is the true light and the true north. And in order to be welcoming, to do that, you cannot have any barriers whatsoever, real or perceived. Our modern sensibilities tell us that in order for us to heal the lamentable, and they are lamentable, divisions within the body of Christ, divisions between Christians and Christian churches and denominations that we must minimize or even ignore the doctrinal differences that divide us. And we must, in spite of those differences, practice full and complete fellowship. The sensibilities of our time tell us that to draw back the erring to us and to Christ, we must accommodate them and what they want and where they at. Otherwise, we're just pushing them further away. That's what our modern sensibilities tell us. But like many other things in life, they promise, but they do not deliver. You can see this time and again in churches and denominations everywhere. Wherever you do see this happen, where big growth occurs in a congregation, because no conditions or very few are put on membership, you also have out the back door, over not too long of time, big losses as well. Easy in, easy out. Wherever doctrinal differences are ignored or minimized, well, doctrine, teaching itself, becomes an indifferent thing to the members of those churches. What does it matter what I believe? And wherever the erring are welcomed without repentance, you soon find that they feel no need or desire to repent, to actually turn from the thing which is leading them away from Christ. 
Yes, finally, when we listen to the world or really ourselves and our modern sensibilities above God, this bears out. Go out there and look. The dividends do not tell a very good story. You see, this is not our church, but God's church. This is God's church to speak what it is according to his will. And moreover, the things in it are his too, including, and certainly not limited to, his table. Sure, we are members, and we are even guests at that table. But ownership and authority of it belongs not to you, not to me, but to God alone. Whatever part we play in exercising that ownership or authority, that's a trust given to us, and it's one we ought to do well to keep according to the one who has entrusted it to us. And the third lesson, you probably heard it, it's always kind of jarring when you read through this or hear that sentence, but Jesus says in essence, you can't be his disciple unless your love for other people, even those nearest and dearest to you, does not pale in comparison for your love for him. I think we ought to take him at his word there, don't you? We ought to, and we do, love Jesus more than anything and anyone else. And if we truly love our neighbors as he would have us do, love our brothers, let's keep it up that way. And yes, if we would draw and welcome others to Christ for the first time or back to him after they have spent a time away, let us keep his church as he wills it to be, as it actually is. Let us ourselves in our words and our actions say yes, amen, to Jesus Christ and his ownership and his authority over this place and all that we do. Let us say yes to his doctrine, his teaching. Let us say yes to his ownership and authority of his church. And let us say yes to his ownership and authority of this blessed table where he gives us his body and blood for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Amen.